Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 24. There we find a summary of God's word as follows. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God, whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing even though God promises to reward them in this life and in the next, this reward is not earned. It's a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 33, the stanzas 1 and 6, about the word of truth spoken by the Lord. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we once again have a little baby in front of us. His parents brought him here in this church that's not something little Ethan could do for himself, could he? Little babies are totally helpless. They can't walk or talk or do anything on their own except to cry and fill their diapers. Ethan relies on his mother for everything. He depends on her for food, for clothing, for shelter, for warmth and love, for protection and for keeping him clean. He relies on his mother for every little thing and also on his father. They have to take care of every aspect of his life. Now, why would a parent do that? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? She does that because that's her child. And there is an incredible bond between a parent and her child. There's an incredible bond. Her life and his life are totally wrapped up in each other. When the baby is this small, the mother's main occupation is to look after that child. Whatever goes on in her life is of secondary importance. She is totally focused on meeting the needs of her baby. And that's because of the relationship that a parent has with his child. The child is her flesh and blood. And the mother and the father love that child. It's their flesh and blood. Together they love him but not because of anything that Ethan has done. Little Ethan hasn't done anything yet, good or bad. They love him because 
he belongs to them and he needs them. Well, congregation, that's also the way it is with us and the Lord our God. There's also an incredible bond between us and our Father in heaven. And that relationship has been established only because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For at one time, our relationship became broken, as we saw this morning. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now once again God's beloved children. And we too are helpless without God. We are totally dependent on our Father in heaven. But if there is one thing that is hard for us to accept, it is that fact. Especially the fact that we cannot do anything for ourselves without God, including our salvation. We are just like that little baby in front of us here, totally dependent on God for everything. And that's what the Catechism wants to drive home to us this afternoon as we deal with Lord's Day 24. The theme is as follows. God alone made everything well again between him and us. And then we will see in the first place that we do not have to do anything for it. And in the second place, but we do have to do something with it. So first and all, we do not have to do anything for our well-being, for our salvation. As Ethan grows up, he will become more and more independent. Soon he will want to feed himself. He'll make a mess, but he'll insist. Gradually he will do things on his own. He will learn to talk and to walk and to dress himself and to keep himself busy. Slowly but surely, he will grow to be more and more self-sufficient. And that's good, isn't it? Children have to learn how to do things for themselves, to be independent. But you cannot carry independence too far. He is still going to need his parents and his relatives and friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord. We can't go through life without others. We need each other. But above all, he has to know that he cannot live without God. In fact, even though we do so many things ourselves, nevertheless, we are all still totally dependent on God. Even as adults. And that's certainly the case as it concerns our salvation. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, did it all for us. He lived, worked, and suffered and died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Philippians 2 describes for us in a most beautiful and poetic way exactly what he gave up. Although he was God full of majesty and truth and strength, he gave it all up and made himself nothing. In the original, it actually says that he emptied himself. Of what? Of the glory. All the glory and majesty that he had with his Father in heaven. 
And that's what he did for us. Why? Only so that he could share his riches with us. For the Father once again exalted him to his rightful place at his right hand. He gave them back his glory and majesty. He gave him back his power and omniscience and absolute rule over all things. But now there is a difference from before his incarnation, his birth. Now he can share his riches with us. Because now he also shares his flesh and blood with us. He took that with him to heaven. And that is also where he prepares a place for us. He wants us to be with him and to enjoy eternal riches together. Glory and majesty and indestructibility, peace and joy forever. And the only way he could do that, the only way that he could have a share with him is to do what he did. He first had to throw everything away and become like us. But now how does he share his riches with us? Through faith. We have to believe that he did that all. And we have to accept the fact that he can share his majesty and glory only because of what he has done and not because of anything that we have done. And faith, brothers and sisters, is a gift. As it says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. He gives faith to all those with whom he establishes a covenant. Because of his Christian upbringing, he will also give that to little Ethan. But he and all of us must also know how to use that gift. We should never think that we can come to God in our own power. That's not how we come to heaven either. Let me illustrate that. Suppose you got a letter from a rich uncle in Hawaii and he invites you to come to him in his native land to have a wonderful vacation there. It's a beautiful place. It's lush, it's got everything, it's got servants. You're going to be served hand to foot. But in his letter he tells you that on a certain day you have to go to the airport in Edmonton where his pilot will pick you up with his private airplane. Now, suppose you were to say to yourself, well, I'm not so sure about this. Um, I know my uncle is very rich, but it's still hard to believe. Maybe I should see if I can get to Hawaii in my own power. And so you go and get a bike and you pedal to the Pacific Ocean. And once you get to the ocean, you get yourself a canoe and you start paddling in the direction of Hawaii. You can try to do these things, but it's not going to do you much good, is it? You will never get there. You will perish in the way. It's ridiculous to even try. It's also thankless. Your uncle has provided you a plane, and you don't even want to get on it. 
The Lord God says, if you want to make your way to be with me, you either have to do it all yourself or not at all. But either way, you won't get there. Oh, sure, you must show your thankfulness, but only for what I have already done, not to add to the gift. You see, brothers and sisters, and then include you, boys and girls, that's how we are. We want to do something of our own to contribute. Don't think that you can. And don't think that you have to do that either. The Lord Jesus is like that private airplane. He is the one who brings you to your final destination. He is the one who saves you along the way. He does it all. But you have to believe that. You have to accept that in humility. The catechism based on the scriptures is quite clear on that. It speaks there about our righteousness before God and asks whether or not our good works have anything to do with that. The catechism shuts the door on such reasoning. We have nothing to offer God, not even our good works. It's actually strange that the catechism asks this question. We did not ask to do we did not do anything in order for us to be created either, did we? We did not do anything for our own existence. That's totally God's work. He created Adam and Eve out of nothing, and he formed each and every one of us in the womb of our mothers. We ourselves have nothing to do with our birth. That's true for little Ethan as well. He didn't contribute in any way to his own birth. And yet his father and mother love him and take care of him. And that's the way it is with our father in heaven as well. And it's also the way it is for us regarding our rebirth. The fact that we are remade in the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. What the Catechism says here is quite profound. It tells us that if we even try to contribute anything to that, then it will all end up in disaster. Actually, you will make things worse. For whatever we do, it has to be absolutely perfect. Catechism reminds us that even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin, even when we pray or worship or take good care of our families. We sin even in the most unselfish acts. All our works are defiled with sin. That doesn't mean that they aren't good, not at all, but it does mean that they're not good enough. And therefore we need God for everything. We ex have to accept this as a gift from God. But that's where the difficulty comes in. 
As I said, that's extremely hard for us to accept. We have a hard time accepting something for free. Instead of admitting that we receive everything from God free of charge, we say instead to the Lord God, O oh Lord, have patience with me, and I will do my part, and I will pay up what I owe you. Just be patient with me. Tomorrow is going to be different. I'll do better. I'll carry out my good intentions. And I promise you, O oh Lord, that the older I get, the less I will sin. Really? I know that that's not true. On the contrary. And yet, we pray to God to have patience with us, for then we will do this and that and everything else, and we make all kinds of promises to him, and we also really mean it. Instead, brothers and sisters, be humble. Know your sins, know your weaknesses. Just like the king in the parable, the Lord God is not going to have patience with you or me when we give that kind of response. Because that's not the way it works. It's also clear from the parable we read together. The servant who owed the king an enormous debt begged him to be patient with him telling him that he would pay everything back. However, that was an impossible thing for him to do. The debt he owed was enormous. Estimates in modern currency, as given by various commentators, range from several million dollars to one trillion dollars. For you see, a talent was the highest known denomination of currency in the ancient Roman Empire, and 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had a specific word. And so the Lord is telling us that by giving that particular amount, that that is such an enormous amount that even if you were to live a thousand lifetimes, you couldn't pay it back. And yet the foolish servant says to him, oh please, your majesty, be patient with me, and I will pay everything back. The king doesn't even respond to that. He doesn't give it a thought. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. He can't pay it back. The servant begs for mercy and makes a promise he most certainly will not be able to keep. Obviously, that wicked servant had no idea of the enormous debt that he owed. Otherwise, he would not have made such a promise. It could also be that he was dishonest with himself and fooled himself into thinking that it wasn't such a great amount after all. Not a big deal. Whatever the case, by saying to the king that he would pay everything back, he minimized what he owed. This man was in denial. But what does the king do? Well, to the astonishment of everyone, the king pities the man and cancels his debt. He ignores the servant's ignorance and instead has mercy on him and lets him go scot-free. That's quite something, especially considering the kind of world Jesus lived in. In those days, if you were unable to pay your debts, you and your family had to be sold 
along with all your assets. The king could have done that in order to get at least some of the money back. It will obviously recoup nothing anywhere close to the amount owed, but something is better than nothing. Selling people into slavery to pay their debts was very common in the ancient world. But not only will the king in this parable not sell his servant into slavery, he will not even require any payment of any kind. Sheer grace is at work here. The same thing is true with us. The debt that we owe God, we cannot pay back either. God is perfect and demands perfection. And therefore, if we want to do something for God, it has to be perfect. And so let us not even begin to think that we are in any way capable of that. Of that. The only thing that we can do is to accept God's pity. For we are pitiful creatures. Brothers and sisters, God gives us everything that we need for body and soul especially gives us the wonderful gift of faith. But we also have to receive that as a gift. There are many people who want to make a work out of that as something we do. We cannot do anything. Even our faith is not something that we can give to our children. Through his parents, the Lord is also going to give that beautiful gift of faith to this little child, Ethan. But as he grows up, he has to unwrap it and do something with it. He has to learn to see that as something very precious from the Lord. And so the Lord God gives quite a responsibility to the parents. But he has to also not take that gift for granted. For you see, there's also that other danger, the danger to minimize the gift. That's what happened to that first servant in the parable. He took for granted what the king did for him. The fact that he received that gift of being declared guilt-free did not really make an impact on him. And that shows from the way he mistreated his fellow servant. As soon as he left the king's presence, he had forgotten what a wonderful gift he had received. Brothers and sisters, when you receive God's gift of salvation, then you also have to do something with it. And that's the second point. The wicked servant did not understand why the king did what he did. He only looked at the gift and not the giver. And that is because his mind was on what he could get out of life for himself. He didn't understand that ultimately it is not about the gift but about the merciful Father. And once you understand that, then you also change your outlook and your attitude, the way you think and act. The enormous gift that that first servant, that wicked servant, that had a purpose, it had as purpose to change him. The king expected that servant to do like he did and also be generous to others. 
He expected him now also to show kindness and love and mercy to others. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants to teach us in that whole passage that we read together. For look at the context of this parable. First, Jesus tells us a story about the lost sheep. And those lost sheep refer to each and every one of us. We were lost. We have lost the way. And now Jesus says, I'm so glad that I have found you. He says that to you and to me. And after the story about the lost sheep, he tells us to do the same. For he says to us, if your brother sins, don't just leave him in his sin, look him up. Only once he does not want to be found any longer can you let go of him. But first you must do everything to seek him out. Go the extra mile. For that's what I've also done with you. In this way, he received the mercy of God. And in this way, that also has to bear fruit in our lives. God has mercy on us, and so we must have mercy on others. Often when we receive gifts, we expect something in return. I will give you something for your birthday, and then hopefully I'll also get something from you. Is that how God also treats us? No. Does he then expect nothing from us? Oh, yes. He wants us to share his gift with others. You have to do something, but not in order to give back to him, but to share. And that's very well possible, for his gift is big enough. You have to do something with it. You cannot just sit on it. You have to unwrap God's gift, and you have to share it with others. It's in that sense that we must see our obligation. That's it. And it is within that context that the catechism speaks to us about our good works. It dares to do that, even though the catechism knows what the Roman Catholic did with good works. They also said you have to do something. But they said that, but they said that because they want you to contribute to your own salvation. The catechism, however, made perfectly clear that that is not something we can do or have to do. No. The catechism tells us first what we have received free of charge, namely that everything is well again between God and us. Only now can we talk about the role of good works. Because now you realize what God has done for you. And now you will also want to do something with that gift. His gift cannot just leave you cold. It has to make you in a changed person. The gift cannot leave you cold. It should make you feel warm all over. Do you feel warm? Not because of the heat, but because of what God has done for you, the forgiveness of sins, salvation free of charge? Do you want to share that with others, especially with your family, with your siblings, 
with your parents, with your children, with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, with your co-workers. For the Lord God does not just give us a gift. He does not just give us mercy and righteousness and the forgiveness of sins as some abstract concept. For those words easily roll off our tongues. We easily take it for granted, for we hear it all the time. You hear it all the time from this pulpit as well. But we have to realize what the reality of the gift of his dear son Christ is and how that should impact us, how that should change us, make us thankful, how that should change us in our attitudes, in our thinking, in our love for others. For God has done everything for us. In the gospel, he seeks us personally with his life, his suffering, his death and resurrection, and with a position of honor at the right hand of the Father. It's all for us. The Lord God does not just give as a gift like the man from Purolator who brings you a package and then asks for your signature and then he takes off again. No, he gives us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that changes our hearts and our lives for always. That's what the catechism means when it speaks about being grafted into Christ by faith. Now we are alive with the Lord Jesus. We are one with him. Through his Holy Spirit, he has taken residence in us. We live with him. He lives with us in our hearts, in our minds, in our heads. And if that is something that is a reality for us, then he is also the one who guides us and leads us as we pray to him and as we listen to his voice. We change persons. For we have changed the way that we live and think and act. And now, with God's help, we can do things that we could never do before on our own. Brothers and sisters, we're like little babies, totally dependent on our Father in heaven for everything. It may not seem like it. Many people live as if God is not even in the picture. Little do they know that without watching, that without him watching over them, they would perish at that very moment. And that is why we have to worship him and honor him and not to pretend that we can do everything for ourselves. Of course, we have to do things, but realize we can only do it in, our, in his strength. We have to accept God's grace we have to accept our total dependence on him. We must humble ourselves and we must hold out our hands to him so that he can fill them. They have to be empty hands. Only then will he fill them 
And if we do that, then he will embellish us with great riches, with such riches that we cannot even begin to imagine now, and we will want to hand that out in the way that we live. How wonderful it is to be a little child of God. How great it is that he has made his promises to us as he just did to little Ethan. He gives it to us free of charge. What a wonderful and merciful God we have. Amen.